So let's start with the visualization, all the sentient beings around, the holy beings in front of you, all the sentient beings around you. And if you are annoyed or aggravated or frustrated or outright pissed off, excuse my French, um, by somebody, then put that person right in front of you, between you and the Buddha, so that you have to deal with them, you know? You can't generate bodhicitta without making peace with that person and uh, make peace with them and then imagine leading them and all the other sentient beings to take refuge and generate bodhicitta. And if you don't know how to make peace with that person and work with your anger, it means you haven't been studying uh, the previous talks on chapter 6 after you've heard them. Okay, so if there's any anger, annoyance, or so forth in your mind, use what you've learned so far to drop that anger and replace it by a sense of forgiving and compassion and tolerance. And then generate the bodhicitta, even if your mind isn't completely pacified from the anger, at least aspire to be able to release the anger and to generate real bodhicitta for the benefit of all living beings, that person and all others, and to attain full awakening for theirs. Uh, sake.
So you might remember during EML, uh, Venerable Sundar, who's at Nalanda, uh, was commenting on uh, the fact that at the Abbey there's a week between each teaching on a, on a topic, and he really appreciated that rather than having many teachings in a row, because he said then you have time for a whole week to really contemplate what you learned in the previous session. So it's quite important that you do that, that it's not just you listen to teachings, close your computer, and then don't look at it any longer until the rest the next week, and then hope that I don't ask you a question about it. But, uh, you know, really go back and contemplate it, especially a text like this, which is so relevant to our lives and explains so clearly, uh, you know, that it's like we can't use the excuse of, well, it's too difficult philosophically, I don't understand it. Uh, you know, we can understand this. So to really take it and use it in your lives, and uh, then you will see Shantideva's brilliance, and you yourself will create uh, a relationship with Shantideva as somebody who you can, quote, quote, talk to in your meditations when you're upset and say, Shantideva, yeah, you taught, I'm upset, you taught a lot about anger, which verse is really helpful for me right now? And it's not like he's going to say verse number da-da-da, but, you know, something that you've heard and then contemplated before, yeah, and... uh used in your meditation repeatedly, then something will come to mind, and then you can use that right in the situation you're in. And that's what is Dharma practice. Okay, so Dharma practice isn't bells and and drums and tankas and all this other stuff, robes and hats and, you know, Dharma, practicing Dharma means transforming our mind. So that's it. And nobody sees when you practice Dharma. Okay. When you're putting on a show outside, yes, we can broadcast that. The world sees it. But whether our minds are practicing Dharma at that moment is another story. Yeah. Whereas... You know, when we're upset or we're longing and we're, we're greedy or whatever it is, and we just sit down and deal with that mental state, that is the real practice. Okay. Okay, so the previous uh, verses that we were talking about uh, really pointed out the faults of anger. And it's very important that we be aware of the faults of anger, okay? Not just saying, oh, anger is unpleasant, I should get rid of it, or I'm a bad person if I'm angry. That doesn't help, okay? But rather to really look at our own experience, and when we've been angry, 
Yeah, have we done actions that have actually fulfilled the purpose for which we did those actions? Okay. When we're angry, do we uh, create the cause of happiness? Here and now, even, does our mind become happy when we're angry? What about the karma we create when we're angry? So to really investigate, uh, you know, are there benefits or drawbacks to to anger? Because we have to be very clear in our mind that anger is not beneficial. Because if even one part of our mind thinks, but my anger is going to protect me, or my anger is good, it'll prevent people from walking all over me. You know, if we have that thought lurking in our mind, then when anger starts to come, we will go right to that thought to justify our anger. Okay? And then that way anger continues to harm us. Okay? It's like if you have a thief, you know somebody's a thief, you, you know... You've known them for a long time, and you know every time they come to your house, something goes missing. And you've checked on the internet, and you know that they've been arrested several times for robbery. Yeah, but they come to your house and knock on the door, and then immediately your heart melts, and you say, oh, please come in. Yeah? Then... Okay, you're inviting the thief, you know, we invite the thief in. Even though before we said, oh, I'm not going to give in to it. Then we, you know, because we're in a fragile state of mind, then we immediately capitulate. Yeah, you know that well? Yeah. So we have to build up some, you know, reservoir of really being sure that anger uh, is is not conducive to happiness. Another fault of anger is that it really goes against our bodhicitta aspiration. Because with bodhicitta, we want to have love and compassion for all sentient beings unconditionally. And anger just is a huge block in doing that. Because when we're angry at somebody, we don't have compassion for them. When we're angry, we want to harm them. Okay? So it gets in the way of our, of our bodhicitta aspiration, which is, I think, one of our deepest and most precious spiritual aspirations that we want to treasure and nurture and protect in our own mind. Yeah? So we don't want to let anger destroy it. Anger also influences the people around us. Okay? So I I had a mother that liked that she had a temper. Yeah. Actually her that whole side of the family mostly had a temper. And when she was mad, it influenced the whole family. 
Yeah, and it was very clear you felt the energy in the house, you know, and you retreated somewhere where you didn't have to have contact <laughs> with somebody who was so angry. Okay, so it's it's the same here, you know, at the Abbey. You know, when somebody here is really angry, even they're not saying anything. I mean, of course, if they say something, you know, and they're railing about that spatula, we know, you know, they're angry. But even there, that's not happening. You know, somebody's not saying anything. But the vibe, to use a conventional word that we all know what it means, although I don't know how do you translate that in Tibetan. Um, you know, the vibe is, yeah, you know what it is, you know. You just walk <coughs> in and it's like, yeah. So, you know, when we're angry, it it permeates and influences not only the community members, but also the guests. So the guests who come here, because they see this place as a place of refuge, then they sense that somebody's angry and they want to run away. Yeah. And then they say, oh, you know, these people, they're just like everybody else. Well, sometimes we are, but let's try not to continue to be. Yeah. Okay. And so, so just imagine it. I mean, what would happen if... Uh, every few weeks, I got really angry at somebody or some old thought. I started thinking about Italy and what I had gone through in Italy, uh, or I started, you know, something. And I went off on a tizzy, and I'm so angry. And I just, I went to my room, and I locked the doors, and I just stayed with my tree. And she ran away from me, too. <laughs> You know, like, how's that going to influence the community? Yeah, even I'm locked away there and you don't see me. Is that going to influence you? Yeah. Okay. So we we have to be aware of that. And you know that when we were studying the um, mental factors, that mental factor of uh, we had integrity and then it's corresponding one of consideration for others. It's at that time where we really have to invoke that mental factor of consideration for others and think, you know, if I act this way, how is that going to affect people around me? Yeah. And, you know, I really don't want to affect people that way. I have a kind heart. I have a good good will towards others. I don't want to let my anger conquer my mind so I adversely affect other people. Yeah. So, you know, don't sit there and beat up on yourself. Oh, I'm so bad. Look, I'm angry. I'm, you know, the whole abbey is really vibrating by my anger. Look at me again. I blew it. Yes, you are very powerful. You can make everything go wrong. Congratulations. Yeah, that's a, a distorted form of arrogance. Yeah, so don't go to that. Come back to your good intention. You know, 
I mean, that's why you're here. I, I, I want to be a positive influence in other people's life. I want to contribute beneficially to society and to the people around me. And right now my anger is overpowering me, but instead, instead of giving, uh, falling into its trap and digging myself a nice hole, I'm going to turn to chapter six and find a remedy that I have meditated on previously several times in my daily meditation. So I am familiar with how it works. And then you find something and you meditate on that. And you don't just meditate once. You meditate many times on that. Okay. So I think I told you after I left Italy, I uh, went back to uh, India and I went straight in. You know, I, I went into retreat and I was doing a retreat with four sessions a day. Every single session, I would be furious. And the whole session was about calming my mind down and getting rid of the anger. And then came the break time and I stood up and I was peaceful. But as soon as I let that memory of Italy come back, and there's nothing wrong with Italy, you know. I mean, the, the people there are very nice. But, you know, then I would just get so enraged again. Then it was time for the next session. Meditate on, you know, <laughs> on fortitude again. Calm my mind down. Come out of the session, be okay for a little while, and then as soon as I let that thought come in, you know. And so that's how I basically spent three months. It got better, you know. The more I meditated, the more I began to deal with the anger more quickly. Yeah. But it, it, you know, I had to really work on it. And I thought I didn't have a problem with anger, which I think was exactly why Lama sent me there. So that I would learn that I had a problem with anger. Because if he just said to me, oh, you have a problem with anger, I would have said, no, I don't. You know? I don't yell and scream. I don't have a problem with anger. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. So we're on verse 7. This verse is very important, okay? Having found its fuel of mental unhappiness in the prevention of what I wish for and in doing what I do not want, Hatred increases and then destroys me. Okay, so what is the evolution, how anger comes in the mind? Okay, first of all, we want something and we're prevented from getting at it. There's an interference. That's the second line in the prevention of what I wish for. So I want something. Who knows what it is? It's one of the eight worldly dharmas. 
<laughs> undoubtedly, and I don't get it. Okay, so there's that. Another factor that, that starts out the anger is uh, somebody does something I don't want. So it's not just me not getting what I want, but also somebody impinging on my happiness. So maybe somebody criticizes me, somebody raise, waves that spatula in front of me, uh, you know, they tell me to go pick napweed when I don't want to, uh, you know, all these horrible things, really horrible things, really horrible, isn't it? Yeah, terrible, you know, worse than what's going on with the people in Afghanistan at this moment. You know, being told to put not eat when you don't want. Yeah, isn't that worse? Yeah, than being under the Taliban or trying to get out of the country and not being able to get to the airport or fearing for your life because you helped the Americans and Taliban although they say they're not going to have reprisals, you don't trust their word. Being told, you know, somebody asking you to pick napweed is, you know. But our mind, our mind that does not want the littlest bit of happiness, that unhappiness that completely crumbles, you know, when we feel in the least bit threatened, Okay, somebody's asking me to do what? Or somebody's interfering with my happiness. Yeah, it's flex day. Holy flex day. (laughs) The day that I look forward to every two weeks. Flex day. Yes, I'm dreaming of sleeping that day. I'm dreaming of, and then somebody comes in and says, will you cook today? Because the cook is sick. My flex day. (laughs) My flex day. All my happiness, my dreams of one day where I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. And they asked me to cook. Yeah. Then think of the people in Afghanistan. Yeah. Think of being terrified because the Taliban has now taken control of your country. And you want to get out and take your family out because you want them to be safe. And you can't even get to the airport. It's too dangerous. Yeah. My mom used to say that to me when I would get upset, you know, or, or some of you may have heard it, when you don't want to uh, finish everything on your plate at dinner time. Yeah, remember that? And so that's something impinging on your happiness. Somebody telling you to do something you don't want. Finish 
everything on your plate, young lady. Yeah, the young lady was always a hint that you were in big trouble or about to be if you didn't follow the order. Okay. And what was the reason? The children in China are starving. What? Oh, Africa too. Yeah. 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 I got the China one. Maybe you got the Africa one. Yeah. And my mind was like, well, how does my eating my food that I don't like, that I don't feel like eating, going to help the starving children in China? Yeah. I couldn't take in, you know, what it would be like to be starving. And in those days, kids really were starving in China. Yeah. I couldn't, you know, I didn't think of like, well, wow, what would that be like? Maybe I should treasure the fact that I had fish sticks. <laughs> you remember fish sticks? <laughs> huh? <laughs> oh, yeah, you were Catholic. So, uh, yeah, or macaroni and cheese. That was what also what they served on Fridays because of the Catholics. Yeah, macaroni and cheese. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and we just got upset because of it. You know, we couldn't really take in, you know, what it would feel like to be hungry. And we didn't like being told that we were privileged. Because if we were privileged, we wouldn't have to eat that. <laughs> so why are you telling me that I'm privileged to have food? Okay. Okay. So you see how our mind works? Even, I mean, look at what we said and thought even as kids. Even as kids. There it is. Yeah. I want what I want when I want it, and I don't want what I don't want when I don't want it. Yeah, and I'm entitled. Why? Because I'm me. I'm some spoiled American kid. I say that about myself. It's true. Yeah. And not thinking of what my parents and grandparents did so that I had that food that I don't want to eat. And what they went through coming to this country and, you know, getting settled and so on. You know, no idea of other people's experience. Just me. Yeah. People say children are so innocent. Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. Okay. So, here's the two th the ways anger originates. Prevention in what I wish for. I don't get what I want. And in doing what I don't want. Yeah, having to do something I don't feel like doing. Okay. 
Then what happens because of that? Mental unhappiness. So we're not even physically suffering. It's just the mind is out of shape because we don't get what we want or we get what we don't want. Yeah. So the mind gets unhappy. Okay. That unhappiness becomes the fuel for anger. Yeah, we don't get angry when we're happy. We get angry when we're unhappy about something. Okay. Then from the anger, the anger destroys me. How does it destroy me? It makes me create a whole lot of negative karma. It reinforces a bad habit that I really don't want to have. It chases people away from me. Nobody wants to be with me. Okay, and on and on. Okay, so so it's good to watch that evolution in your mind. Yeah, and really be aware when we don't get what we want or we get what we don't want. How the the unhappiness in the mind comes like that. It's almost as if, yeah, and this is especially true, I think, when somebody says something we don't like, like we get some criticism or whatever. So there's that person out there saying whatever they're saying. There's sound waves coming from that person. They hit my ear, and automatically I get angry. Yeah, They made me angry. They made me unhappy. I'm unhappy, I get angry. Okay, they... It was a virus that I caught from them. Yeah, there were that those sound waves had unhappiness in them. Yeah, those sound waves were sprinkled by anger, sprinkled with anger, I should say, so that as soon as those sound waves, because that's all it was. It's just sound waves. But as soon as those sound waves hit my ear, this chain reaction of unhappiness, anger, boom, right away. Okay. What's really interesting is to slow it down. Yeah, and watch. Look at those words as they're coming at you and say, they're sound waves. Where is the unhappiness in the sound waves? Where is the anger in the sound waves? And then you begin to say, you begin to see that when you say, they made me angry, that that's not true. They only said words. They only put out sound waves. 
Why did I get angry? Go back to Friday night and the six causes that make afflictions arise. The predisposition of anger. Okay. The predisposition of anger and distorted conceptualization. Because those sound waves hit my ear and then I started writing a story about about the meaning of those words. Okay, so the sound waves hit, brain transformed them into words. Then my own inner Tucker Carlson arrives, and I give commentary on it. Okay, now you're making a face. But when we start justifying our anger and going through all the reasons why we are entitled to be angry and how it's good to be angry, aren't we merely copying that person, that person's behavior? Yeah? It's just... I don't appear on Fox News, and I don't get paid for it. Yeah, but it's my own inner Carl, no, Tucker Carlson. Isn't it? Some of you aren't sure. Yeah. I just look at his picture, and instantly, yeah, For me, I just look at the the picture. I don't even listen to what he says. But instantly there's this feeling of, I don't want to be like that person. And I actually don't want to be near somebody who is so angry. But it's the same two things. The the, um, seed of anger and the inappropriate attention or distorted conception that then writes a whole story. Yeah? Imagine the karma he's creating. Yeah? Having a platform to spill that out on. What kind of karma is he creating? Would you want his karma? Would you want to experience the result of the actions he's creating? I wouldn't. Okay. But when we do when we do the taking and giving meditation, then we have to generate compassion for him and take that suffering of that kind of karma on ourselves. Whoa, that's heavy when you think about it, isn't it? Okay, so what, watch in your own experience. How really, you know, look at verse 7, you know, pin it to the mirror or put it at your place at the lunch table or put it in the kitchen <laughs> or put it by the tools shed. Yeah. 
put it by the by the uh, yellow jacket nest. So when you start getting mad at the yellow jackets. Okay, verse 8. So do you think verse 7 is powerful? To me, I think it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Verse 8. Therefore, I should totally eradicate this the fuel of this enemy, for this enemy has no other function than that of causing me harm. Okay? So the fuel of this enemy is unhappiness. So I have to eradicate my unhappiness. I'll come back to how to do that in a minute, because it seems impossible when you're angry, but it's actually possible. But why do I want to eradicate that unhappiness that's the fuel of the anger? Because anger is the enemy that has no other function than causing me harm and making other people around me miserable. Yeah. But we have to really see how anger causes me harm. If we don't see that, we may say, oh yeah, it disturbs other people, but it's good for me. It gives me power. We have to see how the power that anger gives us is useless power is ineffective power, is reckless power, is false power. Yeah, because we're angry. Why, Why do we get angry? Because we feel helpless. We feel powerless. So we get angry to make up for it. Because once you get angry and the adrenaline starts going, now you feel powerful. Somebody called me a name. Somebody punched me. I'm going to get even with them. Yeah? They are oppressing me. I'm going to show them that I can oppress them back. Okay, so it gives us this sense of power. Then what do you do? Yeah. Then you cultivate your own inner Taliban. Your own inner ISIS. Your own inner mentality during the Crusades. Okay. Whatever your thing is... Yeah, you cultivate that, and you go on a rage. And if you are intoxicated, it's even worse. Yeah, because anger in general makes us uncontrolled. But when there's intoxication involved, especially alcohol intoxication, I'm referring to here, then, boy, they're really bananas. Okay, and then what do people do? You wind up on the Shravasti Abbey list of inmates that we correspond with. Yeah, most of the people 
that we correspond with were intoxicated, and they if if they are actually did the crime they were arrested for, they were intoxicated, and most of them were angry at that time. Yeah, some maybe had more craving. The white the oh, what is it? The white collar crimes, you know, embezzlement and things like that. That. Those tend to be more attachment type of crimes, although those people also do anger kind of crimes. And the same with the people who wind up in prison. Mostly it's anger kind of crimes, but it could be attachment crimes too. Okay. And, and then we, yeah. So it's also very good not just to just, not to just study in your own experience how anger has evolved, making examples, doing research into your past about how this happens. Okay, to not only do that, but then don't stop with I'm angry, but see what have I done under the influence of anger. Yeah, what have I said to other people? that I now regret having said because I was angry at the time I said it? What did I do that I now am so embarrassed about because what I did was so yucky? Yeah, but I did it under the influence of anger. Yeah. And think about those actions and, ha- you know, and then have genuine regret for... Uh, Anger taking control of our mind and making us do things that we now don't feel good about. Anybody uh, done things when they were angry that they don't feel good about? Yeah? So... It's good. Those are the things. When, when you do the 35 Buddhas and you're bored or Vajrasattva and you feel like, oh, what have I got to, to you know, purify? That. <laughs> Remember those actions. That's what we have to purify. Yeah. And in Posada, when we say all the harmful actions I've done by body, speech, and mind, you know, overwhelmed by attachment, anger and confusion, those actions, that's what we're confessing during Posada. Okay? Not just, you know, wearing leather shoes in the last two weeks. Things of, think of what you have possibly done since beginningless time and take that opportunity to, to reveal those. Even you don't remember specifics, you know, then think, I, I could have, who knows what I was in a previous life? I could have done who knows what. Yeah, I could have been my own version of, you know, whoever you think really has harmed the world. Yeah. And, and so, you know, really regret that. Use that for purification. And then you never get bored. Yeah. Otherwise, maybe you're doing Vajrasattva and it's like, well, you know, I purified throwing sand at my cousin and I purified 
uh, you know, calling somebody a creep on the playground. Uh, so I don't have anything more to purify. Okay, so really, you know, contemplate and see in our own experience how anger has no other function but to cause us harm. It does not protect us because it makes us do things that create negative karma that harm ourselves. Or in this very life, anger motivates to do, us to do things that bring harm upon us. These, these verses are, are very powerful if you really take the time and go through them, yeah? So, I should totally eradicate this fuel, the fuel of this enemy. How do I eradicate my unhappiness? So I think I've told you before that uh, lots of times people would go to one of my teachers, Kenzo Jampatekcho, and, you know, Oh, I'm unhappy because of this. I'm unhappy because of that. And, or no, uh, you know, I'm angry because of this. I'm angry because of that. And, and he would say, have a happy mind. And we would look at him. If I had a happy mind, I wouldn't be coming to ask you for advice. I'm asking for advice because I'm really unhappy. And he just says, have a happy mind. And we, we look. You know, I remember, you know, we'd like, what in the world is he talking about? How do I have a happy mind? I can't make myself happy. You know, if somebody says this, treats me this way, I have no other choice but to be unhappy. Yeah? It's predictable. There's no options. When somebody harms me, there's no choice. I'm unhappy. And you're telling me to be happy? Yeah? Well, of course, we didn't say that to Rinpoche. But, um, you know, inside we're going, what in the world is he talking about? Okay. So how do you make your mind happy? How do you make your mind happy? Yeah. Reflecting on a precious human rebirth. What else? Huh? Thinking of the kindness of others. Meditating on love. I think looking at disadvantages are huge for the Yeah, seeing the disadvantages. And how I close up the whole world to myself. Mm-hmm. So that that will make your mind happy? It gives me enough space to recalibrate myself. I can't switch from being really, really angry to the meditation of love. I've got to see, look at you now. Is this what you want? <laughs> mm-hmm. What's an alternative? I've got, to, I've got to admit where I am, I think, yeah. at first. Okay. I find it's, it's also important to rejoice at our own merit. And make a habit of doing that every day. Yeah. So that when our mind is unhappy, we can remember what I've also created merit. 
And I rejoiced at my own merit. And that's good. And let ourselves feel happy about that. Okay? So, to, and then to realize that it's not an automatic response. That just because somebody said this, or just because I had a nightmare, or just because I remembered what happened to me, you know, in fourth grade, or whatever, you know, in Italy, or whatever your story is, that doesn't mean I have to be angry. There is some space between that initial impetus of not getting what I want or getting what I don't want and creating that space between that and the feeling that arises. And when we can do that, then we have a lot of power over our mind. Okay? And then, yeah, to realize, oh, I don't have to be miserable. Another space is even if you are, you react in with unhappiness. Okay. And this I find very, very effective. It's in chapter six. Even if my mind initially gets unhappy, then to say to myself, this is good. Yeah. What this person did to harm me is good because it's teaching me about karma, that I created the cause for this. It's teaching me about humility, because I can't walk around with my nose in the air thinking I'm so great when, you know, I get harmed. It teaches me compassion for other people who are harmed. So I don't sit in apathy and haughtiness and, and ignore others' situation. It purifies my negative karma by ripening as this small bit of unhappiness right now that I can actually manage. So I say, the situation really isn't that bad. Yeah, it has some benefits. And then that creates space in the mind to not, you know, I may have started out being unhappy, but that instantly shows me, no, I don't have to be unhappy. Yeah. It made me unhappy, but there's benefits to me being unhappy. Okay. Uh, you know, many of the guys that we write to in the prison, our prison project have said, if I have had not been incarcerated, I would never have met the Dharma. And it's probably true, you know, if they hadn't been incarcerated, they would just be out on the streets doing whatever. They might never have uh, reflected on their, you know, actions or their mental states. But they say, you know, having wound up in prison, now I have to reflect some. And that's what made them turn to the Dharma. And so what incredible benefit that is, not just because the Dharma helps them 
be calmer in prison and endure life in prison, but they actually become interested in liberation and awakening. And that influences so many future lives. Yeah, meeting the Dharma for them isn't just about, and for us too, isn't just about pacifying the harms in this life. It's about planting seeds so that in future lives we can again meet the Dharma and meet qualified teachers and practice the path. So how fortunate, you know, when they say, you know, it it was really fortunate that I wound up in prison, you can see it's fortunate not just for this life, but for all the future lives, completely changes their trajectory of future lives. Because some sentient beings go eons and eons without having any contact at all with the Dharma. And here they are having contact, you know? Yeah. The other thing that um, many of the uh, folks in prison say when they're practicing in this way, they speak about or write about how what their behavior is influences those around them. That Mm. people that are really angry and out of control come up to them and say, how do you do that? Mm. Where did you get that, you know? Mm -hmm. So it starts affecting the entire uh, environment then. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Al, the author of Gavin uh, discovers the secret to happiness, which is now available on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> um, he wrote me uh, just recently, because he got transferred to a different prison, that there was one man there who has a horrible prison record. I mean, he was got in prison because he was extremely violent. And then when in prison... He was, again, very angry and very violent. And that guy came up to Al and said, you know, kind of, what is it with you? What's going on? And so Al started talking about the Dharma, exactly what you said, you know. And so this guy began to think about it. And uh, this is the one Tom that we sent the book to recently, you know. So that's how it happens. I mean, think of how you met the Dharma. Yeah. Wasn't that Amitabha appeared to you and said, <laughs> you know, I'm taking you to the pure land? It wasn't by that. No. Okay, so then verse 9 Whatever, so we've decided that anger has disadvantages, is disadvantageous. Its fuel on happiness is the cause, so keeping and nurturing an unhappy mind is also not to our benefit. Do you ever nurture your unhappy mind? Yes. We give it, what? Six-course meal. Six-course meal, okay. Yeah, 
we make sure our unhappy mind is not neglected and gets lots of nourishment. So the unhappiness can grow and grow, and the pity party becomes more and more magnificent. Yeah. I'm seeing the critical judgmental mind is very, a lot of anger, and I haven't recognized it as such. Mm-hmm. I've seen it as more just like commentary, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but I think that creates an environment where anger is, can really flourish, and it, it creates this attitude of, um, ill will mm-hmm. towards people, and it's surprising, extremely just throughout my mind all day, and I'm like really trying to let that go now because I can see what it leads to. Yeah, and how unhappy it makes you. Yeah, are you unhappy? Are you happy when the critical, judgmental mind is, you know, on overdrive? But it's so strange, because why do we get critical and judgmental? Because our self-centered mind thinks, if I criticize others, then that means I'm better than them. So it's a perverted attempt to establish our own self-esteem. But it actually makes us miserable and doesn't establish our self-esteem, does it? Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting how the self-centered, ignorant mind functions. Because we want happiness, and yet we nourish thoughts and do behaviors that bring us more unhappiness. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And then we blame other people for it. Yes. Really go down to something that when I say it, I say this is simple. We don't know what to abandon or what to cultivate. Exactly. Yeah. So we... We abandon the Dharma because we can't get ourselves to the cushion or we're bored in meditation or it's too hard. And we practice nourishing our critical judgmental mind, nourishing our feelings of entitlement, and so on. Yeah, we really don't understand what to abandon and what to practice. And that's why, you know, because they talk about this so much in, in the teachings when, you know, it comes so, in so many different areas of the Dharma, what to abandon, what to practice. Yeah. And then we say, yes, abandon uh, non-virtue, practice virtue. I got it. Well, not really. <laughs> I tend to abandon virtue and practice non-virtue. So uh, let's do a little bit of a reset here. Okay. So in these situations, again, we don't put ourselves down. You know, we just laugh at, at our mind. You know, look at this. I want happiness. And look what my mind is telling me to do to get happiness. You know, this, this is really comical. Yeah. 
So verse 9, yeah, verse 9 sees the trick behind the self-centered mind. And uh, Shantideva says, whatever befalls me, I shall not disturb my mental joy. For having been made unhappy, I shall not accomplish what I wish, and my virtue will decline. Okay? So whatever happens to me, yeah, then the second line, I shall not disturb my mental joy. We want to say, it shall not disturb my mental joy, like it's coming from outside. But Shantideva's not letting us do that. He's saying, you, when you let your mind make you unhappy, you are disturbing your own mental joy. So we make the determination, I shall not disturb my mental joy. Yeah, I can be happy. Why not? Okay. And why won't I, I let things disturb my mental joy? Because when I've been made unhappy, I can't accomplish what I wish. And that's the thing about anger. Anger doesn't, it's not a good strategy for accomplishing what we want. Okay? So there you are with a family member or a partner or somebody who you really, really care about. They say something or do something that rubs you the wrong way and you get angry. Okay. Underneath the angry, anger, what is it you really want? Because this is somebody you really care about and love. What is it that you really want at that time? Hmm? Connection. You want a good connection with that person. And you don't have it at that moment. And you're getting angry because of it. Now, when you're angry, and mind you, you want connection. You don't want to be disharmonious because you care about that person. So you want connection and harmony. What do you say when you're angry at somebody that you're very close to? Or what do you do when you're angry? I defend myself on why I'm getting angry. There is a justification they need to hear and get. Or we will never connect. (laughs) Okay. And and how do you convey that message to them? Uh, In um, uh, an argument of where my idea is better, and for their own good, it would be best to go along with that. And what's your tone of voice and your facial expression when you do that? The voice gets really um, tight and louder. And I'm sure, seeing myself, probably the mouth gets pursed, the brow gets furrowed, and my eyes get real small, and I lean into them just so they hear what I'm saying. Anybody recognize that? (laughs) (laughs) And I don't let them say anything in return. Right, yeah, definitely. Other people, what do you do? 
and know that they have misunderstood the whole situation. And if they were only listening, they would get it. And how do you let them know that? What do you say and do? How do you look? Similar to what Venerable Samke said, probably. Um, <laughs> and then I start repeating myself. because <laughs> As if they're hard of hearing or there's some kind of mental deficiency. <laughs> Other people. One of my tactics, besides many others, is to withdraw and keep distance. You what? To withdraw and keep distance. Okay, withdraw yeah. and keep distance. Uh, yes, we know that you do that. <laughs> I protect myself <laughs> for I get more attacked. <laughs> Are you happy when you withdraw and keep distance? I regain strength, actually, um, because then I can settle down instead of sometimes um, too overwhelmed being around a certain person, for example. And so I can't handle it. And then the withdrawal helps me to um, get a little bit more clear. It's like calming the lake um, after a wild storm. Mm. Mm. You don't nourish your anger when you withdraw? No, normally I'm um, starting to think about the Dharma. I try to, I mean, um, in the beginning, for sure, um, but I know that this doesn't help me, and so I always turn to the Dharma. It just takes a little longer. Um, I don't attack immediately. <laughs> I'll step back first and then ruminate over the situation again and again and again and again and think of all the ways we can fix it or remove you if you irritate me or some kind of strategy plan, plan, plan. I might complain to other people. I might write up a proposal about how to fix the problem and oh, send yeah. it to you. Yeah. Oh God, how many? <laughs> yeah, because you know, yes, we you gotta be, <laughs> yeah, we have to be active. You know, there's a problem and there's a solution. We gotta solve it. Yeah. Yes. So we're gonna fix that external situation really quick yeah. in the next week or so okay yeah. <laughs> um, and then if it still can't be solved I'll continue to hold on to the grudge for a while <laughs> so at some point it might go away or not <laughs> Are you, you'll be the last one in the front row it's okay <laughs> we'll give the, the ones in the back row a little break for right now my mouth starts moving and I start blaming and I probably look really ugly. I have a look, a mean look. We could probably describe how each other looks and acts, can't we? <laughs> we know each other quite well. But what are we really trying to say when we look and act like that? I want, I want to connect with you. I want a harmonious relationship with you. Does our action bring that harmony that we want with the other person? Does it bring any connection with them? Yeah. Does it break trust? Yeah. So, you know, when we really look, we... We don't really understand what to practice and what to abandon, which is why it comes so often in the scriptures to remind us about that. Are there any questions online?
Yeah. So the first one is more, they're more like comments, but I visited my grandchildren last week, two, three, five, and seven years. I was amazed at the word mine coming from each of the kids. (laughs) Where did they learn about mine at such a young age? They say that age two is, is quite normal. That's when kids learn about the idea of mine. Yeah. And, uh, Probably from watching the adults around them and, you know, having some cognitive ability uh, at age two that they didn't have when they were infants to discern the difference between me and another person. Because, you know, as infants, they can't always do that. And so the idea of mine comes really strongly then. Most parents will testify to it, right? Yeah. That's why they call it the terrible twos. Mm-hmm. Only after contemplating anger did I realize my c- c- uh, cynical mind is based on anger and self-centeredness. Mm. That's really true, you know. And when we get cynical... Underneath that is uh, disappointment, I think. We're disappointed in others. And to deal with the disappointment, then we get kind of cynical and angry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The seven-year-old I'm taking care of says that anxiety and anger are contagious in the same way as a virus or bacteria is contagious, she said. Because when somebody unhappy touches me, I get unhappy. Wow. <laughs> I wonder if she's saying, meaning touching actually physically, or just, yeah, just being in the presence of that person. That's a smart seven-year-old to notice their own experience like that. Her habit is to get angry at these people for making her upset. This sounds silly to an adult, but I wonder how many of us have the same habit. Oh, it sounds silly to adults, which is exactly why we don't realize we have the same habit and why children then copy what we do because we're not even aware of, of how we influence them. When I'm angry at someone, I have the troublesome habit to want to speak badly behind their back. Oh, yeah. Let's get revenge. Yeah. Let's create some trouble for that person behind their back. Ruin their reputation, spoil their relationships. Yeah. Revenge will bring me happiness. Does revenge bring you happiness? Yeah. You know, because as soon as somebody speaks badly to us, or at least I've become aware of this, when somebody speaks badly to me about another person, I know that that person at one time or another, maybe not now but later on, will speak badly about me to other people. So then I don't tell them so much. Okay. 
Okay. So verse 9 is making a strong determination, having done all this reflection, whatever befalls me, I shall not disturb my mental joy. Yeah? I will, you know, remember precious human rebirth. I'll, I'll remember my good fortune. I'll remember that uh, I've met teachers and have is so much opportunity to practice. I'll remember that uh, to rejoice at my own merit, you know, and, and all these different things. I'll remember the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha and have a happy mind. Why? Because... Having been made unhappy, I know if I let my mind run off in unhappiness, I know what's going to happen. I won't accomplish what I want, and I'm going to destroy my own virtue and make a lot of enemies in the process of it. Okay, verse 10. Yeah, so we'll start this one off now, and we'll come back to it next week. This verse is also very important. I mean, this these whole few little verses, there's so much packed into them. So verse 10, why be unhappy about something if it can be remedied? And what is the use of being unhappy about something if it cannot be remedied? So you can substitute other words in here. Why be anxious about something if it can be remedied? And what is the use of being anxious about something if it cannot be remedied? Why be un- why be angry about something if it can be remedied? And what is the use of being angry about something if it cannot be remedied? So whatever is, you know is disturbing your mind, see if you can fit it into that verse and ask yourself that <laughs> those two questions. Okay, so why be unhappy about something if it can be remedied? So if the problem can get fixed, why be unhappy about it? If the situation can be improved, why hang on to being unhappy? Why not get busy improving the situation? Why not draw up a detailed plan and a report like she does and send it to me? <laughs> yeah, along with footnotes and explanatory notes and suggestions about who can we can implement to carry out that plan. <laughs> okay. So why why be unhappy if we can remedy the situation. Yeah? We put the spatula in the wrong place. Somebody commented on it. We're devastated. Why not just go and put the pick up the spatula and put it where it belongs? That's an easy way to remedy the situation and say, I'm sorry. No, I will not say I'm sorry because I was right. Or actually, I didn't, I put that spatula there by accident. But those people are making a mountain out of a molehill. 
and blaming me. And I'm going to fight back. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, you're shaking your head. It's pathetic, isn't it? Yeah? How, we, how our self-centered mind thinks is pathetic. Yeah. So, yeah. we made a mistake. What is wrong with admitting we made a mistake? Besides, everything is wrong with admitting we made a mistake. Really, what's the tragedy in the world? How is the world going to suffer if I admit I made a mistake? Well, my image will get tarnished because I am unlike all other human beings. I do not make mistakes. They make mistakes. But I am infallible and never make mistakes. Right? Come on, nod your head. I never make mistakes. Even when I say the wrong thing when I'm teaching, I never make mistakes. That's not a mistake. That's a slip. <laughs> yeah. And it's your mistake to say, uh, don't you mean this? Oh, are you insinuating that I had a senior moment? Yes, you are insinuating that I had a senior moment. I don't have senior moments. <laughs> I don't care how old I am. <laughs> My memory is infallible, like everything, <laughs> like everything else around me, about me, infallible. So you do not see mistakes. And if you dare think something is a mistake, wipe that thought out because you are not supposed to comment on it. It is a rabbit's horn. Yeah, my mistakes are rabbit's horn. You don't want to talk about rabbit's horns. That makes you look stupid. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you mispronounce my rope. It's Genghis. <laughs> Those of you who, who weren't at last Tuesday's teachings don't understand the joke. Somebody can explain it to you. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, really work with ver verse number 10 when your mind gets bent out of shape. Say that, yeah, when you get anxious. Yeah. Where's the wildfire today? Which wildfire is around us today? In all four directions, there are wildflowers. No, in, in all ten directions, four main directions, four intermediate directions, up and down, 
yes, everywhere there's fire, and we're going to have to evacuate. Oh, and what happens if we have to evacuate in the middle of the night, and they don't wake me up, and I'm sleeping in my bed, and then the alarm, the smoke alarm goes off. Oh, God, that... (laughs) Oh, why didn't she change the battery? It drives me crazy. (laughs) Okay, so why be anxious about something if there's nothing you can do about it? And if there is something you can do about it, do that. Yeah? Okay, we'll stop here.